Praise the Lord. That's a great song, isn't it? Weren't these songs wonderful? We actually did okay without Tony today. Sorry, Tony. I love you, brother, but people worship the Lord this morning. Thank you for, thank you for worshiping. Um, I am refreshed when people praise the Lord. I am. I'm refreshed by that. I want to talk to you today about praising the Lord. Uh, this, this message really is not what you would say, what you would call a typical Advent, first Advent sermon. I think it ties in, though. Okay, I remember uh, when I, I grew up in the Baptist church, so we didn't do, we didn't do Advent, okay? Uh, we, didn't, we didn't do the church calendar, the church seasons, measuring time that way. We didn't do that. We just didn't. So later, um, when I became a Methodist, we did. And I was introduced to that. And I didn't understand it. I just didn't understand how it all worked. You know, it, just, it was foreign to me. But it became meaningful through the years to help mark time based on what God had done. And that's all it's about. It's just about thinking about things and remembering things that God has done and marking out the seasons in accordance with what the Bible says about our salvation history. I think that's a fair way to assess it. And so it became meaningful. I mean, it helped me grow spiritually by observing time like that. So this is both the beginning of Advent and it's, it's that strange moment. It's a, it is kind of strange, isn't it? Of course, the whole year has been strange. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know what you did for Thanksgiving, but ours was totally different this year. Okay, it just was. It just was different. And COVID touched our family. Uh, my son... Uh, tested positive for COVID. He's, you know, he didn't have any symptoms, you know, but he was exposed to somebody. So that meant everything scattered out. <laughs> we didn't want to be around him. Um, and so it just changed. Life had changed. And so it was odd. But even, even when things were, quote, unquote, normal, whatever that is, <laughs> this, uh, this time is, okay, right after Thanksgiving, but before we really get into the Christmas season. It's just kind of a timeout right here, right? I mean, we're eating leftover turkey, right? No? Yes? No? I am. Okay, so we're, and I didn't think I would be able to put another bite of turkey in my mouth till Jesus comes back, okay? But no joke. I'm, I'm eating some leftovers. It's kind of like, you know, we, we got past the iron bowl, you know, been looking forward to that. I mean, that's something we all, some of us look forward to all year, and it doesn't matter to Jesus. But obviously it doesn't matter who wins to Jesus because Auburn lost. So <laughs> everybody knows God is on Auburn's side. And I'm grieving. I have on black today for that reason. But uh, roll tide. Okay, roll tide. Congratulations. And did it without saving. You didn't even need saving for that. Good grief. What an awful game. I gave up after five minutes. But anyway, we've had that. We've had Thanksgiving. Just have a little time out, you know, just a little pause. But I want to hold on to it. I don't want to ride off from it too quickly. I want to hold on to a Thanksgiving moment. I want to learn what I need to learn. I want to hear what I need to hear. I want to ask the Lord to let this season count as we finish out 2020 and start a new year. I want my days to be surrendered. I want to surrender all to Jesus. How about you? I want to surrender my disappointments and my 
sad moments. And I want to surrender every victory to Jesus. And I want to give him my body, soul, and spirit. And I want to say, Lord, take control of all my relationships. And take control of how I feel. Take control of my desires. Take control of how I think. Renew my mind so that I can change and become the man you want me to be. I don't want to be the same old person. I want to be the new me. I want to put put off the old self and put on the new. I want to live in Jesus and in, in the identity he has for me this coming year, this season. I don't, want to, I don't want to miss anything God has, do you? For the Advent season leading up to the great celebration of Jesus' entry into the world. And it's all about Jesus start to finish, isn't it? It's all about Jesus. And life is about Jesus. And nothing else. Nothing less and nothing else. As I was preparing to share a message with you today, I thought, Lord, what, what is it that, that you want to say? What is it? And that, that's what, see, that's what I love about Mark, one of the many things I love about Mark. But one of the many things I love about Mark is that he's listening to the Holy Spirit. It just, it's obvious, isn't it? Thank you for that. But he's saying things, he's saying things to us that are not just well thought out, um, well crafted messages, though they are that. You can follow them, you know. I just write as fast as I can. But really, honestly, they're, they're prophetic. I mean, that's a word from the Lord. So, so my, my prayer was, Lord, what do you want to say through me today that will, that, will go, that will flow in sync with what we've been hearing from the Holy Spirit through Pastor Mark? And this was the story that came to mind. It's from Acts chapter 16. And it's about... Wayne and Chris in prison. No, wait, Paul and Silas. Uh, it's, it's, you should plug in your name there, though. I mean, it could be Mark and Brad in prison or, or fill in your name. Um, so, so I just want to read you the first verse here that kind of kicks it off, and then we'll just sort of unpack it, and you can follow this outline, okay? And I hope you will. But this was, this was in Philippi, Things had already gotten started there. They'd already started ministering and leading people to Jesus on this missionary journey. And verse 16, it says, One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Do you get that? So this was sort of a... And then it it launches into this story, and I'm just going to cite some verses. I'm not going to read you the whole story, but you know this story, right? So Paul and Silas have been sent by the Lord to Philippi to share the good news of Jesus with people who've never heard about Jesus. And already some people are starting to respond obviously. And so they've already got a following. There's some people that are, that are praying with them and people that are listening to them and people that are being saved by the Lord. So these are new converts. So something is happening. The Holy Spirit is lighting a fire in that town, okay? Hey, that's what we need, right? We need that kind of thing. We need the Holy Spirit to come and light a fire. We need to be used by the Lord to share the good news of Jesus with other people. And then all of a sudden, as they are doing this, 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 this 
this fortune teller shows up. Now, this is just a weird thing, isn't it? Isn't that weird? So, so this is what went through my mind. Do you think that maybe the reason the fortune teller was there, who was a slave, a female, a slave, who was demon-possessed, and because of the demonic possession in her life, she was given the ability to tell fortunes. You don't think that's real? You don't think that's real? That's real. Okay? That's still real, isn't it? More obvious with our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world like Africa, where the, where the devil is front center and in your face, more subtle in our culture, right? You don't always see or discern the demonic, but it's no less there. It's there to do what? To lead people astray, to deceive people. And a fortune teller empowered by a demonic spirit will get the truth one time, one time, and then there'll be a lie. It'll be a mixed bag. There'll be enough truth mixed in with it to entice you and, and ensnare you and distract you and deceive you and delay you. There'll be enough truth in it. There's enough truth in the horoscope to make people pause and read it. But it's a lie. Do you understand? It's ultimately a deception so you won't listen to the Holy Spirit and enthrone Jesus as the leader of your life. If you've got Jesus as the leader of your life, you don't need to be told what to do by anything or anybody else. Is that fair? So this gal shows up. Do you think it's maybe because... Paul and Silas had a following. They had a following. That's what it says. They got ready to go down to the place of prayer, and a bunch of people started showing up. Wait a minute. There were people there. There was a crowd there. And these men were making money off of this girl. Hey, man, I don't think it's any stretch to think, hey, man, we need to get around these people because there's a crowd there. There's somebody that will maybe come over and pay us for a fortune. After all, this is a spiritual thing that is happening. You follow that? And she, well, the demonic spirit in her, recognized that Paul and Silas were men of God. And what a dubious, what a weird, strange, dubious, ironic thing was it for these demonic spirits to say, listen to them, they've come to tell you about Jesus. Maybe in a mocking way. Maybe in a ridiculing, sarcastic way. Who knows? Who knows? We don't know. We can't tell by what Luke wrote the tone of voice that those demonic spirits were using, do we? But we know that's what happened. And everything that followed in this story, which is a powerful moment, a thanksgiving moment, ultimately a life-changing moment for people who read this through the centuries. They read what happened. It all started with what? And this is point number one. I haven't forgotten. We've got to outline. They ran into a person with problems. They ran into this gal, right? I'd say she had problems. What were her problems? We don't even know. We don't even know. We don't even know her name. You got problems too, don't you? You have some problems? Yeah. You know people who have problems? Everybody you know has problems. Right? Some problems are more severe than others. Some problems are so severe that they destroy the person's life and destroy the lives of people who care about them. Have you noticed that? Some people have their problems sort of well-managed. Nobody's normal, okay? 
Nobody is. I remember when I, they sent me to this church, the first church I ever pastored full-time. It was in Pensacola. They were about to close. They, di- they didn't think, they didn't, they didn't give me much chance. They said, you got six months, nobody will blame you if it closes. We're not going to bail them out. Had a nice building, nice location. There was no reason why couldn't have church there, but they'd been fussing at each other for about ten years. They were preacher eaters. <laughs> Man, the devil was loose in that place. I was just excited to go somewhere, anywhere, you know. I've been serving so far out in the country, man, there was nobody out there in this rural place where I was in school. So they sent me to Pensacola and thought, look at this, man, Pensacola. <laughs> Can't believe it. So we didn't do anything anything special, but I'll tell you, just talk about Jesus, you know, and the Lord helped us. But i got to tell you, you know, it was such a pitiful group, okay? They were just, everybody who had anything going for them had left. Okay, there were any, no gifted people, no, nobody, people were struggling. It was just a pitiful, pitiful little choir. You should have seen the choir. It was awful. Oh, the choir was terrible. They had like six or eight people. Nobody, could, nobody in the choir could sing. It's terrible. So it would depress you. You know, it was. It was like 40, 50 people and it looked like, you know, a big old barn that would seat about 300 people. You know, I mean, it was just... So anyway, if anybody ever showed up, and people started finally showing up, if anybody ever showed up that looked normal, they'd run up to me and go, Did you see them? Did you see them? They had a good car. You need to call them. <laughs> well, what, why did they do that? Because we were looking, we were so desperate, you know, to turn the church in the right direction and save it. That anybody that looked halfway normal had nice clothes or whatever. I mean, we were after them. If some jerk, you know, scraggled in that was scruffy, and we had some of those too, they never said, go see him. No. Sometimes Ken and Barbie, man, they put the funk in dysfunctional. They looked good, but man, you found out they had problems. Yuck. You just couldn't see them. Some problems are more obvious than others, right? But everybody's got them. And you know what? You know what? The devil is all over it. It's not all about the devil. It's not all. You can't blame the devil for every problem. But this is what we've learned. When somebody has a spiritual stronghold, there is a demonic assignment involved, and he feeds off a sinful choice and an unhealed hurt and lots of times a family history and negative relationships. So if you want to break the stronghold... In Jesus' name, you want to get the devil off somebody's back, not only take authority over the demonic spirit, but you help them deal with the roadkill in their lives, the sinful choice, the unhealed hurt, the family history that predisposes them to that behavior, and the negative relationships that help hold them in a stronghold. Because if you've got a problem, you've got problem people making it worse. Are you following that? And every addict understands this. Everybody who's dealing with something that's obviously demonic understands this. And I want to tell you something. Things went downhill pretty quick when Paul did what he did about that demonic spirit. What did he do about it? What did he do? This is what he did. Acts 16, 18. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. 
Ephesians 6, 12 says, We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Now, we do not always know how that plays, do we? We have to be led by the Holy Spirit to understand how to use God's weaponry to destroy strongholds. We have to be strong in the Spirit and be gifted and led by the Holy Spirit in order to engage the spiritual battle. But make no mistake about it, we're in it. We are in a spiritual battle. Our enemies are not flesh and blood. You've got people that don't like you and you don't like, but they're not the real enemy. If you're for Auburn, it's not Alabama. If you're Republican, it's not the Democrats. They are not the enemy. Are you listening? It's not your ex. <laughs> it's not your preacher that hurt you, and that's why you're here, because you had to get away from them. That's not who it is. Who are you fighting? The Bible, Jesus said, love your enemies. Love them. Are you kidding me? How? He knew we couldn't. He knew we couldn't forgive people that hurt us. He knew we couldn't deal with the problems and problem people. He knew it. He knew it when he said it. When you turn the cheek and go the extra mile and forgive, you know, 70 times 7, 490, not waiting till you know, you get to 491 and now I hate your guts. No, as a lifestyle. And he knew that was only possible if you recognized by the power of the Holy Spirit he would do that through you. And the enemy you engage is not a flesh and blood enemy. It's that supernatural fight that's going on in the heavenlies. And when you take issue with a person's problem, that is what you're dealing with. And that's what you're dealing with in yourself. It's true for this season. It's true for every season. Pause, time out, regroup, reset my thinking, resurrender to Jesus, put on my spiritual identity, and in the name of Jesus, engage the enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. What? Everything that matters. This ain't no spectator sport, honey. You've got to get in this thing. You hear me? So, well, I'm not qualified. I'm not strong. God knows you. God knows you better than you know yourself. His strength will be made weakness, made strong in your weakness. He'll do through you, say through you, think with your mind, love with your heart. He'll do through you what you can't do. That's just the point. But it must be that way. Let me tell you something. If you want to play nice with your Christianity, be my guest. But know this, that the enemy's coming for you anyway. You might as well engage. You might as well stand with those who are ready to fight. There are people who are going to be, let me tell you, the people that you know, you love, your children, your grandchildren, the wolf is coming. Do you understand? The wolf is coming. I'm not trying to be scary here. I'm not trying to be morbid in any kind of way. I'm just saying, telling you this, this is not a, a scare tactic. This is discernment. It's time for God's men and God's women to get between their children, their grandchildren, and the wolf and say, no mas, you do not cross this. This is the bloodline. In Jesus' name, get off of me and mine. 
That's what Paul did. He just got tired of it. He just absolutely got tired of it. He wasn't mad at that girl. He was mad at what motivated and controlled that girl. And, buddy, she got delivered. Let me tell you something. It was worth the whole trip to Philippi just to save her. You understand? If nothing else and nobody else got saved, it was enough to pull that girl out of the fire. Here's the second one. Not only was a person with problems, but a painful persecution. Now, I want to tell you something. I don't mind persecution as long as it doesn't hurt. Because <laughs> I just hate pain, don't you? I have a low threshold for it. But because of that deliverance and the men that were making money off the girl got mad because they couldn't make their money anymore. Love of money is root of all kinds of evil. Acts 16, 22 through 24 says this. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city, hey, we have mobs, don't we? We still got them. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Man, that's a painful persecution right there. I don't like it. I just don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like anything about it. Do you? Okay, so let me compare that to what happens to me. Now, I I know this is going to be hard for you all to believe, but some people have decided through the years that they don't love me. No, it's true. And and it's shocking to me. (laughs) Why? Because, you know, I'm... I'm lovable. And I try to be nice. Do I always get there? No. Sometimes you can't even tell I'm saved. Sometimes when I'm driving. I don't drive like a saved man sometimes. You understand? I don't drive like a Christian. I drive like a Maniac, okay? That's I've been told. Anyway, but I'm trying. I'm, I'm working on that. I really, I'm asking God. I'm playing some praise music in between country songs, and I'm really, I'm trying, you know? Kind of, kind of cowboy music is praise and worship music, isn't it? No way. Anyway, so, so I'm, try, I'm working on, there's certain situations that I can get in where people make me feel very, very impatient. I just want them to stop it. Hey, here's one. Do you know anybody, when they start talking, I mean the second, nobody in here, okay? Nobody in here. So don't think it's, I'm I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about somebody else. When they start talking, the second they start talking, you want them to stop. You just, you want to, you start praying. You start praying right there. Jesus, they don't know it. But you're asking God, please let them shut up. Please let them shut up. Please, 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 please. Because there's just something, their words are like water to a drowning man. You know, somebody came out of church one time, shook my hand, they told me that. You know, Pastor, your words are like water to a drowning man. It wasn't until they walked on off I realized what they had said. Dang. You know what used to tort me so bad? They don't do it so much anymore. They say, you know, our little preacher said this. I ain't no little preacher. Are you kidding me? That used to bother me. Oh, I didn't like that. You've had those irritating moments. You've had those moments when people get on your last nerve, right? 
that's my persecution. They didn't like me. They left. They left my church. They left. I told you about the guy who said, you know, those people left my church. And, and they came to me and told me they were going to leave my church. I'm leaving your church. I'm leaving. Oh, I'm so sorry. Why? Well, we just feel like we need to go. My friend said, can I go? Can I go with you? I feel led to go. No, we're leaving to get away from you. We don't like you. I don't like me either. Can I go, please? We've had our moments of persecution, haven't we? We've had loss. We've had people didn't like us. We've had people gossip about us. People lie to us. Whatever. Fill in the blank. But did you ever get beaten by rods? I don't think so. I never suffered one bruise. She had one drop of blood. Man, man, there's persecution and then there's painful persecution. Is it painful when somebody talks about you? Yeah, it's painful. It can be. But man, this is this is rank, right? This is this is severe, isn't it? Now, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty because yours wasn't this bad. Thank God it wasn't. Thank God we hadn't had to bleed. But you know, that kind of stuff is in God's hands. What if they came and arrested you? What if they seized your bank account? What if they took away everything? What if? What if they censored you? What if because of something you did or said or proclaimed, it cost you your freedom? What if? Because this cost a lot of believers a lot of things through the years. I think it's something well to think about, don't you? If you play nice, you might not get the devil riled up. But if you take issue with the enemy, you might have to suffer some persecution. Just a thought. Paul says, 2 Corinthians, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Our present troubles are small won't last very long. Sound like to me that wasn't a very small bit of trouble he got in. Had the heck beat out of him and then clamped in chains. Come on. But he considered that no big deal. They produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all. Later, he told Timothy, everyone who lives wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Everybody. There's a certain measure of suffering and persecution that goes with the cost of discipleship. And if you dodge it, it'll still overcome you. There's going to be some persecution. There's going to be some pain. God deliver us from it. God help us to be courageous in it. God help us to endure it, whatever it is. But God has the future. And whatever it is, he's calling us to see it the way he sees it so we can bear it the way he bore it. Are you following that? He said, you take up your cross and follow me. You think that's not painful? It's painful to die to yourself, isn't it? It's painful to keep your mouth shut when you want to defend yourself, when you want to prove you're right. Have you ever felt entitled to say something? Well, watch that. Watch that carefully. I'm in, I'm in, I have a right to feel the way that I do. I have a right to say what I am about to say. I have a right to be angry. I am entitled to it. No, no. We relinquished our rights. The spirit of entitlement competes with the Holy Spirit. We have surrendered our rights to Jesus. And what we have a right to do is obey Him and die to ourselves no matter the cost. I don't know how severe or mild our persecution will end up being, but it's coming. But we can face it in Jesus' name. Do you believe that? Either we do or we don't. Here's the third one, and that is, 
It was a time of personal praise. And in 1625, Acts 1625, you get the heart of what happened in this moment of thanksgiving. Around midnight, remember now, they're bleeding. They're suffering physically, and they're in stocks, in chains, in the inner dungeon. And around midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining. And they were asking God, why did you let this happen? Right? No. He says, they were praying and singing. That is not normal. What? They were singing hymns to God. And listen to what, what Luke wrote. He said, and the other prisoners were listening. Wow. Let me tell you something. Here, here's the real deal. Do you understand? This is the real deal. This is the moment of thanksgiving that you want and that I want. Because it's based on nothing in that circumstance. Was there anything in that circumstance that was not painful and hard to bear? Everything about it. It was a, it was a train wreck. Do you hear me? I mean, as far as they knew. Think now. Think. There's no indication that the Lord somehow showed them what was about to happen to them. As far as they knew, this was the end of the road. They were going to die in there. They were, they, how, how, they, it doesn't say, but how, how close were they to dying already? How much blood had they lost because of this beating they received? And there they were. There they were. What if this was the end of the mission? What if Paul and Silas were looking at each other going, you know, we gave it our best shot. We wanted to go all the way to the ends of the earth, but we got to Philippi before God ended it this way. And guess what? They were praising God. I'm going to tell you something. You can't do that because you're trying hard. You can't do that because you've come to the altar somewhere and made new promises to God. No, you can't. You can only praise God in a situation like that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. When you've let go of everything. Do you hear me? When nothing in the circumstance can steal your joy. Are you listening? How are you doing? Okay, under the circumstances. What are you doing under there? Oh, I know. 2020 is awful, isn't it? just want it to be over. I can't, if I gave you the list of things that went wrong in my life in 2020, it would make you more depressed than you are. I'm not kidding. I wouldn't do that to you. We've all suffered loss. We've all, we, we made bad choices that created a consequence that we didn't want. But it wasn't all your fault. Other things happened, and we had no control over them, and it devastated us. People get sick and die, and we pray for them to be healed, and they don't. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Why? We don't know. What do you do? Praise the Lord. How can you do that? How can you praise the Lord in the face of heartbreak? How can you do it when a child dies? How can you do it when there's some kind of tragedy, and you think, where's God in this? You can do it when you are on fire with the Holy Spirit, when you have let go. When your life is not your own. When Jesus is Lord. When you've said, I surrender my expectation. I surrender my future. All that I am and all that I have is in your hands. I'm praising you because you're you. Because my name is written in heaven. You know, when, the, when those uh, 
those disciples Jesus sent out, man, they were they man, they had a successful moment, didn't they? They went out and they came back and they said, even the demons do what we say. Man, those heals, you know, the lame walk and the blind see and the dead are raised and this rocks. We like this. And Jesus said, I saw him fall. I saw the devil fall. I saw him fall. He said, but don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Let me tell you something. This is what I believe, that Paul and Silas knew their names were written in blood in heaven. And they're rejoicing not because of what happened to them, but in spite of it because they knew if it was over, they were going to step into the presence of the Lord. And if it was not over, the grace of God would be with them. That's what they knew in their hearts. They knew it in their knower. They knew it because the Holy Spirit gave it to them, and they had the power to rise above. And let me tell you something, honey. Somebody's always listening for it. Somebody's always listening. What's coming out of their mouth now, now that they've lost, now that they're bleeding, now that things didn't go the way they wanted, now that they're disappointed, now that they fail, now what do they say? And when they say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, Praise the Lord, though my heart is breaking. Praise the Lord, though I don't understand it. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus is Lord. When that is the song of your heart, there's always somebody that's listening to see if you're any different from those who are without hope. Wow. Really? Yeah. Really? And that's why Paul could write, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And the author of Hebrews, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. It's a continual thing. It's a lifestyle thing. You know what? Only if you're right with God can you praise the Lord. You know, there's a stronghold called the stronghold of unthankfulness. Are you listening? There is. There's a stronghold. Let me tell you how it sounds. This is how it sounds. It sounds like whining. (laughs) That's how that stronghold sounds. It sounds like complaining. It sounds like gossiping. It sounds like finding fault. That's how it sounds. That's the sound it makes. And it comes from a heart that is not right with the Lord. But everybody who is clothed in the breastplate breastplate or the body armor of righteousness, if their heart is right with God, guess what? You know it. Because the complaint and the fault finding and the negative is replaced by what? What is it replaced by? Praise. Because everybody who's right with God wants to praise the Lord. And nobody else wants to. And guess what? We're going to do it forever. And this life is a rehearsal, a daily rehearsal of heaven. I mean, it's going to be something that's going to take you 150, you know, 100 or 1,000 years to just you know, get used to praising God. No, use your life to do it. That way you can get part, be part of the party you know, when you die. Have some party on the way even. Maybe somebody will want to go with you. Here's the fourth one. A powerful proof. Acts 16, 26 through 28 describes it this way. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Every one of them. Wow. They just, it was collateral. You know what I mean? 
<laughs> Isn't that cool? All the chains fell off, man. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We're all here. What's going on with that? Let me just tell you what I think. God, God pays attention to his boys. Are, are you listening? Even if you're one of the special needs boys like me. I'm one of the short bus boys. I know that's not politically correct, but I'm one with special needs. Are you following me? Some of us, man, some of us, we can't identify with total victory all the time. Do you understand? We can't identify with that. Why? Because we've fallen down and gotten up and struggled and said, oh, my God, I'm not going to make it. When God's boys praise, let me tell you, when God's girls, hear me now, you daughters, when he sees you praising the Lord, it touches our Father's heart. That's what I believe. When he sees that you refuse to be conquered by the circumstance that, 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 that is so painful that it just about kills you, and you're looking at him going, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you. When he sees that, he comes. Is he always with you? Yes, he is always with you. No, he is. Never leave you or forsake you. But when you, he inhabits, he is enthroned on the praises of his people. And he comes in two ways. He'll come with power to deliver you out of the whole thing, just like he did with Paul and Silas. Or he'll come with power to deliver you through it. He may change everything, or he may just change you. But he will come, and he will do what only he can do. I'd love to say, hey, just praise the Lord. He'll send an earthquake every time. No, wrong. There's been some times I was wanting an earthquake that shook off all the chains, and I got something else. <laughs> but either way, it might be this. It might be like David wrote, take delight in the Lord. He'll give you your heart's desire, the miracle you're praying for. Or it might be like this that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness, so now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, trouble, that I suffer for Christ. When I'm weak, then I am strong. I don't have time to tell you the number of times I asked for the miracle and God answered a different way. You know what? I love it when God shows up and the flags are flying and the doors are kicked in. And I mean the miracle happens and boom! We all go home praising God. I like it when that happens. I've seen that happen. And sometimes when that happens, it feels just like heaven showed up, doesn't it? It does. But sometimes he comes and says, okay, I'm not going to change everything this time. You're just going to have to endure this, but I'm going to teach you some things that nobody will ever be able to steal from you. And I'm going to take you by the hand, and my presence is going to be strong in your weakness so that one day when you're insulted, you start praising me. One day when you're persecuted, instantly the reaction will not, there will be no pause in the action. You will walk through it with praise through the valley of the shadow of death. You will fear no evil, for I am with you. It's all about the supernatural manifestation of God's Spirit for me, His Son, for you, His Son, for you, His daughter. Do you hear me? 
One or two of them in there. But everybody, man, it got on everybody, didn't it? The glory got on everybody. The glory got on everybody in the jail. Panicked the, the, the warden. Panicked him. He's going to kill himself. Whoa, don't do it. Wait. All right, so we're almost there. We end up with what? A passionate productivity. It was passionate, wasn't it? Acts 16, 30-34. He brought him out. This is the warden and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? No joke. Let me ask you this. Is anybody asking you that? That doesn't happen very much, does it? But when the power of God is flowing through a thankful heart, it stacks the odds that somebody sees and hears the praise and the manifestation of God's Spirit, and they want to know, what do you have? Hey, is there a better time to show that to people than when COVID has them spooked out of their minds? Is there a better time... Is there a better time to show that than when they're, they're wondering what's going to happen to the country? Come on. We have an opportunity to produce eternal spiritual fruit. Why? Because we have the power of God flowing in our hearts. We're praising the Lord anyhow because we know who's in charge and Jesus is Lord. People are dying for that. They don't have it. People say all the time, how do people make it without God? Let me just tell you, not very well. He wanted to know how to be saved. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everybody in your house. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. I'm talking about in the middle of the night they got baptized. He brought him into his house and set a meal before him. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. And it was all because of some little demon-possessed gal who needed to be delivered. And it led to what? A lot of people coming to Jesus. Isn't that cool? Isn't that wonderful? That's how God produces his fruit. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit for apart from me. You can do nothing. And when you produce fruit, you're my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. Everybody, listen, they, they, y'all paid me and Mark to behave ourselves. I mean, we can't even sin, okay? We can't. We can't. If we do, we'll get, you know, they'll fire us, won't they? Maybe. I hope they don't find out. Anyway, here's the deal. We're, we're, we're you know, we're ministers. So we suppose we, they pay us to tell people about Jesus, right? In a way. Not you. you if you tell somebody about Jesus... It's not about your living, is it? It's, what is it about? I'm not complaining. I'm thankful that I have this job. Praise God for it. I'm so thankful. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not telling people about Jesus. Just so you know, I'm not talking about Jesus because of the paycheck. God knows that's true. 
This is not about you paying us to do something that God wants you to do. This is about a fruitfulness that he wants all of us to experience. He wants to use your connection to people to lead people to him. And maybe you don't get to see that all as much as you want to. But be available. Be available to the Lord. Put on the sandals of readiness and say, Lord, use me to love somebody. Use me to encourage somebody. Use me to help somebody. Because he wants to produce eternal fruit. That is, the lives of people being changed through us. It's not that complicated. It's not rocket science. It's just you loving people enough to be available to them when they need help. Does that make sense? You know... I told you a dungeon story today about a moment of thanksgiving that ended up in producing spiritual fruit. And this morning I shared another dungeon story at Joe Bullard Cadillac at our little Bible study over there. And I hadn't shared this story in a long time. I shared it a few times through the years. It was just something I never forgot. And the first time I heard it was from a preacher many years ago who told this story And then I went back and read it again just to see if it was there, and it really was. And it's the story, strangely, and this is how I'll end today. It's the story, strangely, of King Arthur, idols of the king, that literature. And there's a part in that story that you never see, and I didn't even know about it. But you know the story of King Arthur and Camelot, the kingdom. And you know the story of what happened with Lancelot and Guinevere, Lancelot being the first knight and the closest to the king, and he betrayed the loyalty to his king and had an affair with Guinevere. You know that story, right? And as a result, it, it, it absolutely destroyed Camelot. It destroyed Camelot. It broke the king's heart and it destroyed Camelot. The glory of Camelot was stolen because of the immorality of the first knight and the queen. But, but do you remember this part of the story that when Guinevere, when, when King Arthur discovered the sin, she, she exiled herself and became a nun. Did you know that? She became a nun for the rest of her life. She lived in a kind of monastery in there. And for the rest of her life, she lived on bread and water, and she lost her beauty physically. And she lived the rest of her life doing penance for her sin of adultery with Lancelot. Did you know that? She did. And in the story, so did Lancelot. He became a monk and a hermit. And he lived apart from human beings. And he lived the rest of his life doing penance for his sin. Until the end of the story. When in the last battle, and it will be the last battle of King Arthur's life. He will win the battle, but in the process, he will lose his own life. And he decides before he goes into battle to see Guinevere one last time. He knows where she is. And he goes there so he can take her in his arms and kiss her one last time before he goes into battle. It's a sweet story. And so she hears. She can she, in her dungeon. She can hear him coming. She can hear the the horses. She can hear the trumpets. She can hear and wonders what it is. And then suddenly she hears doors opening, 
And she can then hear him coming down the stairs to that little room. He re- she recognizes the spur on his boots and knows her king has come. And the door flies open and the rats scurry back into their holes and they hold a lantern aloft and there is the king dressed in full armor ready for battle. And she draws back in shame, the old shame that she's borne all those years. And he takes her in his arms and kisses her and said, Your sin was sin, but it was forgiven long, long ago. And he turns on his heel and goes into battle to be joined by Lancelot, who fights by his side to the end. That's a good story, isn't it? So my question is this. What kind of dungeon are you in? What has stolen your victory? What what has kept you from being what God wants you to be? What kind of shame? What kind of sin? What kind of stronghold? What has taken hold of you to keep you consigned in some place that keeps you out of this fight? I want to tell you something. The trumpets are blowing. The flags are waving. There's a horse saddle for you. And your king has come to lead you out. To be all he wants you to be. Why not you? Why not now? In Jesus' name. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we come because we need you. We acknowledge our need. And so we say to you now, help us right where we are. You know where we are. We ask your help. You've always been with us. We know it. But we just pray that you'd help us to rise in faith to embrace what you are calling us to do and be. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I surely hope that what you heard was relevant and helpful and above everything. I hope that what you experienced today really helped your heart to connect with the heart of God. Now, if what you heard uh, for you stirred up any questions or maybe led you toward some type of spiritual decision. Maybe you want to talk with someone about something that's on your mind. I would love to hear from you. And so I would encourage you, reach out by email. At the bottom of the screen, you see my email address. It's mark at myfreedomchurch.net. That's not going to go to a secretary or an assistant. That will come directly to me. I'd love to hear from you and talk with you about anything that's on your mind. And if in the future you're in our area, we would love for you to come and worship with us at Freedom Church. But until then, we invite you to access all of the sermon material that you find online. Again, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Hope that you have a great day.